Hello and welcome to Hallrunner's Practical Solutions in Healthcare podcast. Today's episode features Hallrunner shareholder Ritu Kaur Cooper. She talks with John Mariano, Senior Vice President and General Counsel at Precision Medicine Group, about the great work that Precision is doing within the diversity, inclusion, and equity space. Welcome, everyone. Today, I am talking to John Mariano, Senior Vice President and General Counsel at Precision Medicine Group. Um, And we are talking about the great work that they're doing in the diversity, inclusion, and equity space. Uh, John, so before you start talking about all the great work you're doing in DEI, I'd love for you to introduce yourself and Precision to our audience. Uh, Thank you. And it's really my pleasure to be here. It's always a pleasure to see you, of course, but it's my pleasure to be here and to speak about um, some of the initiatives that obviously have gained a tremendous amount of momentum in a little less than a year, uh, particularly at Precision. Precision is a um, global life sciences service business that concentrates in um, um, accelerating the the delivery of life-changing treatments and profoundly improving health outcomes. Precision has been around for 10 years. Now uh, we're in our 11th year. We have approximately 2,500 employees uh, worldwide. About 500 of those are in Europe, Canada, and Australia, and the remaining 2,000 are in the United States. I've been general counsel of Precision since it started. In fact, I've been general counsel with the uh, uh, founders going back to 2003, and that was three companies ago. We're on our third business now, and this is a very exciting one. And not just because we're able to make, I think, a big impact on this diversity inclusion initiative that we'll discuss today. That's great, John. So, and I, I'll tell you, I'm, I'm not just saying this. I thoroughly enjoy working with you and your team. You can tell that people love working at Precision, um, and they do really love the, the atmosphere and the culture. And so, I, I think that's attributed to the tone that you all are setting at the top. So, with that, John, why don't you tell us about your your DEI initiatives that you have at, at Precision? Sure. That's, um, look, as a service-driven organization, right, our greatest asset is our people. No doubt that's the bottom line. We felt after the events of last summer that we wanted to really now develop a clear vision that respects and celebrates diversity within our organization and the communities we serve. Our vision is to recognize that diversity promote equity and elevate a culture of belonging. And we started with a variety of committees, employee-driven and executive-driven committees to try to develop a roadmap to build out these initiatives. And we've landed on a three-year plan. The plan is largely modeled on the global diversity and inclusion maturity model. And that is now kind of composed of four elements, purpose, strategy, initiatives, And the fourth element is something that we have, which is our human relations guiding principles. And I'm going to start with the fourth one that I think, because that's important for any organization, including a law firm like Hall Render or any organization, when you have those guiding principles, I think all roads can lead back to them when you're dealing, when you're talking about your, your people, your assets, your initiatives like this. And our guiding principles are client service, purpose, accountability, mutual respect and collaboration. So we wanna take those guiding principles 
apply them through our purpose in business, and then lay them out in a strategy that goes across three areas, talent, culture, and community. And then we have a number of initiatives uh, under each of those three areas. For example, in talent, we have recruitment programs, talent development, talent promotion, employer brand, talent metrics. In culture, we have DNI awareness and DNI training, employee committees, listen and learn circles, which I want to talk about a little later. That's important, I think. Um, and communications and messaging. And then finally, in the community, we're trying to develop philanthropic support in our communities, a, a sense of volunteerism amongst our employees, a commitment to that, and uh, supplier diversity. For example, we just launched within the last two weeks, I think, I think it was announced last week, actually, that we now have a company-wide volunteer time off program, a VTO program which you know, obviously aims to encourage and promote employee volunteerism within our communities. So that we think will help, this three-year plan will be, will be able to help us develop and sustain an immersive culture of diversity and inclusion and ensure that diversity and inclusion is demonstrated through tangible actions and align our corporate social responsibility to identify opportunities and partnerships that materially impact the industries and populations that we serve. Finally, one quick note, which you know, is as a privately held company and as largely a service provider to pharmaceutical and biotechnology companies, our client base is looking at us to ensure that we are following these DNI initiatives, that we have best practices, that we are uh, really pushing out these kind of um, uh, initiatives across the organization. And we are almost always asked about what those initiatives are and what we're doing by the clients when they do uh, preparations for an RFP or in client audits as well. So goodness, John, you've shared a lot. I mean, that's, <laughs> yeah. no, but it's, it's incredible. I mean, that's, you can tell that a lot of work has been, been put into that. So of these initiatives that you have, uh, whether they're recent or you've had them for, for a while, which ones of them do you feel are having the greatest impact on your organization? I would say that there's probably three or four. The employee-led committees that we formed early on were extremely powerful and had a great impact in developing the course of action we wanted to take. And it came right from our employees. We had volunteers. Uh, we had a number of committees set up. They all worked together collaboratively and created a roadmap that was ultimately developed into our three-year plan. One other thing is we've established partnerships with several nonprofit organizations that we feel you know, will help us provide internships, sponsorships, donations within the communities we serve where our offices are located to create a bigger impact in that regard. And the, and the third one actually is probably the, uh, the volunteer time off. That was, like I said, that was announced last week and it was really had a great reception amongst the employees. And I think it really shows, you know, we'll talk about this from the leadership standpoint, but that leadership is behind this initiative, that they're supporting the workforce's ability to take time away from work and contribute back to your communities and the volunteer causes that you may feel are important to you and that align with the DNI uh, initiative. So those probably are the, are the biggest ones so far. The final one that I kind of want to mention, at least here, it wasn't necessarily an initiative, but last summer when 
so many of our communities were in turmoil and many of us were personally in turmoil about what we were seeing uh, and what had happened with George Floyd kind of, you know, obviously there's just so many other incidents that we could mention that preceded that. We had a series of Zoom calls where we kind of, you know, you know our business lines and, and the Zoom calls were largely within the business lines. But as general counsel, I was able to kind of sit in on some of those in addition to the corporate call. And those calls were so powerful, Ritu, I can't even begin to describe the impact that they had on me. And I think the impact they had on propelling or, or turbocharging the momentum for these initiatives to be adopted and enacted. The emotion, the raw emotions from some of our employees who have experienced discrimination, injustice, inequality was eye-opening. I was on one call where uh, a senior executive was literally in tears on the, on the call, uh, hearing stories from some of our younger employees who, who, who face this every day, who confront this inequity in terms of it being singled out. Uh, when there, somebody, one, one person said walking while black, you know, kind of thing. You just can't fully understand it probably ever. But when you hear it and see it and listen to it on a Zoom like that, obviously the best we could do was a Zoom because of the pandemic, but um, it had a tremendous amount of power. And the additional thing in that was a lot of the young mothers that worked for us, or mothers with young kids, I should say, perhaps. They talked about the struggle of teaching their kids right and wrong, teaching their kids equality, teaching their kids freedom, teaching their kids about a non-racist society or a non-racist basis, and literally just getting smacked in the head over and over again when they see these events happen and when they, when they are, have to explain things like this to their kids and the frustration that they had. You know, that was really a very, very powerful initiative. Um, it had a tremendous uh, impact. And if that's something that, you know, an organization can do, I would strongly encourage that they do it because that's the listening and learning that needs to happen to really see the impact that some of these uh, initiatives can have in the real world. Um, John, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And actually I'm getting probably a little emotional hearing you say that we did a similar thing, John, we did some, some town hall meetings and I was one of the facilitators and I did not expect to become emotional when I talked about myself and my family. And it's, it's just thinking about it right now. Um, I don't know if you know, John, but I'm, my husband is black. So I'm married to a black man. I'm raising two black boys as well as Indian boys, right? They're black and Indian. And I will be honest, I've always just kind of been a worry wart and never really felt totally comfortable until Tony has come home or he calls me when he gets to his location. But in the last few years, I mean, if I go four or five hours and not hear from him, I wonder, but I do. Um, so I'm sorry, I didn't mean to. No, no, no apologies necessary. You are reminding me uh, exactly of the force and impact that those discussions had. To hear that, you know, really brings home the challenges that we have ahead of us. I can only say that, you know, from my standpoint, um, one of the things that I felt that came out of it best was, um, you know, our chairman, Ethan Leader, and our, our 
CEO, Mark Klein, they are our co-founders. And our ability to hear this, but then encourage these mothers to tell them, you know, you have to stay strong. You have to continue to teach these pillars of equality, justice, you know, diversity, um, inclusion, those kind of things to your kids. Because that's what we're counting on, right? It's all, it all happens at the ground level. You know, it all happens. You know, it takes a village, right? And I think that kind of helped some of these moms on the calls to hear that coming from Ethan and Mark and, and Chad and me and some others. Uh, obviously that you know and um i can say that uh it probably would be good if we moved on because your emotion is also getting me emotional too and um uh that's exactly the way i felt it was really really powerful stuff well then i'll switch to a funny story because i don't know <laughs> i don't know if tony and i are doing right or wrong but you know we when all these um, issues have been, you know, occurring in the last couple of years, we asked our older son, who is now seven. So I think at the time he might have been five or six. And we asked him, we're like, you know, Sean, you know that you're black and Indian, right? Like that makes you Blindian. And he looked at me and he goes, what, mommy? He said, no, I'm not. I'm peach with cream on the inside. And he's looking at his hand as he's saying that. And Tony and I look at each other like, oh, my God, are we doing something wrong? And I said, I said, no, you're black and Indian because your daddy is black and your mommy is Indian. And he said, mommy, daddy's not black. His skin is brown. And then I repeated, no, your father is black. He's like, do you mean because he's wearing a black shirt? I mean, like, honestly, John, Tony and I looked at each other and we're like, oh, no, either we're doing something right or we're not doing something right. But it just was. It, you're seeing the world through uh, five, six-year-old's eyes, right? And and for him, you know, we're very, very fortunate to have a very mixed group of friends and family. So, and in our culture, we call anyone who is your parents' friends, auntie and uncle. So they call someone who is white auntie. They call someone who is white uncle. They call someone who's black auntie, black uncle. I mean, like, Asian, Indian. It, for them, once they t we tell them that they're part of our extended family, that's their response. Um, and so I'm hoping that you're right, that if we're teaching that to, to these children and that when they see everyone, they notice that they're different, right? I don't want them not to notice the differences, but that they all look at them and they all look at everyone as equal. I think the younger generation, you know, I, I'm a little, I'm a little more senior than you. I have a 26 year old, a 24 year old and a 22 year old. And the extent to which their interactions are colorblind uh, uh, amaze me. There is, you know, this is my own personal viewpoint, but there is, there has been a seismic shift in that from a generational standpoint. And I'm hoping that that is also a foundation for our ability to move on past some of these things that uh, uh, have really been a drag on, on uh, the country, our culture, um, and, and so many other things. And, and I'm optimistic in that regard. I really am. When you hear, when you hear stories like that from you, when you hear stories like from the moms with young kids and how they teach these kids and how they're committed to teaching them about, you know, equality, justice, right and wrong. And then you see it when they get a little older, like mine, uh, and how it translates into the real world and, and their lives. It's, uh, it's pretty powerful stuff. Yeah. It's pretty good. Well, that's great. But I mean, but John, also, that's a tribute to you and your wife, right? I mean, raising them. So it's, 
it's not just to to their world, but it's also to what you see at home, because because kids repeat what they hear at home also. Right, and that's and that's really what one of the big takeaways, not just the listening and learning and the, the eye opening um, aspect of hearing these stories directly from some of our people, but our, that created an opportunity for us to encourage those same people to continue those kinds of lessons and molding and building of, of your kids. And, and uh, it is, it's, it's vitally important. That's um, that's amazing. So then with the initiative that you have, John, how are you capturing any of your DEI metrics or ensuring that, that they're working or, or evaluating them? Probably no different than, than you guys would, um, you know, in, in, a, in an analytical world, as we get more and more into metrics controlling everything we do, again, we kind of have three elements here. The first is engagement. You know, we wanted to engage our employees in these kind of things. And by we created interactive presentations on our intranet, as well as we have something called Precision Pulse, which is a newsletter that goes out every week. And one of the, like, for example, one of the early things we did was we launched um, a company-wide volunteer, voluntary training. And we licensed, we went out and licensed a video called The History of Race in America by Jeffrey Robinson. And we built that into a initial uh, internal DNI curriculum. And that is, a, if you can get your hands on it, it was relatively inexpensive, the license arrangement. In fact, they were kind of thrilled that it was being used for this purpose. Um, that is a, that's a great and powerful presentation uh, that, that we launched early on. To, and that kind of attracted people in to make them understand what we needed to do here. The second element would be the metrics, the numbers, right? You, we hired a consultant like, like most businesses would in an area that we want to learn about and understand and get ideas in terms of how to address. No different than a law firm getting a you know management consultant or a, a consultant on how to run the business or a consultant on you know how to train your associates or whatever the topic may be, how to train your partners maybe even. But um, that consultant helped us map out the the kind of industry wide benchmarks that we needed to look at. Right. So now coming back to threes here, but the three aspects there were total U.S. workforce percentages our industry, you know, biotech, and then our company and how our numbers matched up to see where we need to improve and where we need to target further inclusion and diversity. We were fairly, we were fairly pleased, at least at first glance, we exceed the biotech industry's metrics for percentage of employees that are black um, and uh, Hispanic. So we were, we were happy to see that. Without the framework of the initiative that we have going on now, we had at least created a workforce that we um, felt was was balanced and 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 moving towards more diversity and inclusion. We were surprised we were very low on Asian uh, uh, employees. We were well below the biotech industry percentages, but we were um, well above the overall U.S. workforce. So we've got some work to do there, but that was great to kind of you know look at a roadmap, basically a kind of a map of everything that we could figure out where we needed to 
put some attention to. Uh, and finally, we are, again, something else that is just recent. We have hired a head of diversity, inclusion, and corporate social responsibility. Her name is Temi Afanja. We were able to uh, steal her from Price Waterhouse, which we were very happy about. She just started about a month ago. And uh, she's obviously on a listening and learning tour now to kind of absorb a little bit more of what we want to do, understand our plan better. And we are all really, really excited about that. That's for sure. That's incredible. Um, John, quick question, because you, you mentioned U.S.-based and, and you guys are global. Are, do you have initiatives outside of the U.S.? And if so, are they, are they different and, or what do they look like? We, we, we have included Canada and Europe in these initiatives, and they're not very different. Um, at all. The interesting thing from the European standpoint is the challenge there was translating the initiative out of a stereotypical understanding of America and racism, frankly, and into cultures that actually are very, very open to diversity. Uh, many of our European, you know, notwithstanding the rivalries among European countries or, or nationalities, many of them were all like, you know, well, that's what we do here. We don't, we don't, we don't look at people as black or Indian or Asian or white, you know, it's the person. And so they were very receptive to all of these initiatives. And I think uniquely interested to see how they could participate alongside an American company to help improve diversity and inclusion. So that's been a big plus. We have HR directors in Europe that have helped work with that. And Temi uh, Adonja will be a global enterprise-wide uh, leader of the diversity and inclusion initiative too. That's uh, that's great. I, I definitely would, would love to, to connect with her in six or nine months to see what she's learned. And I mean, because I, I think that that would be a really great perspective. Like you said, right now, her job is to just listen and to learn and then assess. So, well, congratulations on that. I mean, I, I that's a big deal. I mean, that's a really big yeah, deal. I, you know, we put, we, we, we're, we're trying to walk the walk, right? Exactly. Uh, we can talk all about it all you want, but until you start dedicating resources and time and talent to this initiative, you know, that's all it is, is just talking the talk. So we're, we're really excited about Temi coming on board. I think it's a huge addition, uh, again, supported at the highest levels of the company. This has been a priority for Mark and Ethan uh, from day one. And, uh, you know, my hat's off to them because it, it starts at the top. You've got to set that tone at the top. Like any service organization, like Hall Render or anywhere, you need it to come from the top. And um, uh, you know, you know, uh, Mark Klein a little bit. He tends to look at you know of of our leadership in our dynamic duo. Mark tends to look at the bottom line a little more. So it's a big accomplishment to get him to dedicate the resources to anything beyond the basics here. So I think that speaks volumes as to how um, important it is. And even he recognizes that too. Absolutely. I think you're, you're touching right, right now on, on my next thought, which is leadership. You know, so obviously you've put the resources in, you know, you've hired someone to, to be the global head of diversity for your organization. Uh, you've put all these other, other new initiatives or reinvigorated old, old initiatives throughout the organization. Tell me from your perspective, wh- why is it so important? For that tone at the top, right? To to have leadership understand the diversity and and, and inclusion initiatives. Well, 
it should not be as glib as walking the walk, right? Um, or as glib as it starts at the top. But let's face it, it does. You know, leadership is critical in affecting real change. When leadership cultivates a culture of respect, education, and dialogue, we know that our teams will do the rest. When you tie that into our guiding principles and having a common theme that leadership can embrace and then push down within the context of a DNI initiative like this, it, it has tremendous importance um, and impact on, the, on, on our people. We have phenomenal people. You, you're kind enough to, to say how, how much you like working with us and our teams, but we really have phenomenal people. And when they were offered the opportunity to identify challenges and encouraged to design the solutions, we got progress. We put those employee committees together, and that was really a big, big step in the right direction, early an important step in the right direction. And now, you know, leadership's role is really, we've got to ensure that we're offering support, constantly supporting these initiatives, whatever the forms are, developing them, developing the right forms so that we advance diversity and inclusion and advance it within our culture of, of the guiding principles I mentioned earlier. That's really important. You know, like I said, it's been embraced by our, our chairman and our CEO. And I don't know if I mentioned this to you before, but my little sacrifice as a, uh, a somewhat of a leader was that my assistant, Dania McClinton, who has been with me for quite a while and is really invaluable to me, asked that she be uh, given a new opportunity to expand her, her professional career and to be uh, a leader and work hand in hand with Temi Adonja, our new diversity and inclusion officer, to help push out and roll out these initiatives across precision. So uh, I had to give up, Dania, to um, um, something much more important than my, my daily whims and, and eccentricities and whatever else you would call them. But, you know, that I think shows how there are all kinds of little opportunities to help someone really grow professionally within this kind of diversity and inclusion model. Dania is, is Black, she's African-American, and she um, has embraced this new role. And it's just really, really um, satisfying for me to see her want to do that and then to start to, uh, on a path of success for that. You talk about getting emotional before, that's, that, will, that gets me a little emotional now. Um, I'm really proud of her. And, you know, so, so that's kind of the support, right? That's kind of a, a real world example. You know, you got to get out of your comfort zone. I got to make my own Zoom calls now and I got to do some, you know, calendaring on my own and things like that. But, uh, uh, you know, it's all for the better. It's for the better for somebody like Dania and it's for the better for the organization. Uh, that is a huge sacrifice. John, I was just, gonna, <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying, I mean, since I've known you, Dania is always been there and is incredible. I mean, I think she knows what you're doing before you know what you're doing. <laughs> but that's, but, but just like you said, I mean, that is, that is amazing to recognize. And I actually think it's amazing that she felt comfortable to ask, right? Which also then goes to your organization being a place that is supportive and open um, because she could have been in an organization where she would have felt reluctant to even ask to want to pursue and expand her professional prowess. And so I, I think that's, uh, you know, kudos on both sides, but oh my goodness, I am so sorry. For you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
Yeah, so far, so good. She's been keeping an eye on me, but um, I'm just really, really proud of her that she would want to, you know, she would want to expand, obviously, her, you know, her, her professional career, but, but at the same time, she wanted to play a leadership role in this initiative. She saw it as something important to precision. And, and, you know, in her role as my executive assistant, or, or I'm not quite sure what her official title was, but my right hand, basically, you know, she's a gatekeeper. She sees so many people uh, interact with uh, the legal department across the entire organization, across the entire world. And I think that her, uh, you know, she was able to take kind of this broad-based knowledge of the organization and say, hey, this is something I can help with. I know these people. I know the players. I know people all across the organization. I know how they operate. And um, it really was just a great opportunity for her. And uh, I didn't, you know, it was just, it was a no-brainer. It was a no-brainer. Oh, that's great. Well, look, Jenna, I could probably talk to you for hours. Uh, (laughs) I do. I absolutely love talking to you. So I, I know I could. Feeling is mutual. But our audience may not want to talk to us or hear us talk all um, all day. So could you give our audience just maybe some best practices or lessons learned or or something just kind of as a, as a parting thought for them to think about as as people go about their their initiatives that they're doing for for their own organizations? I'm afraid this is going to be a little repetitive. But I still love this whole idea of empowering your employees to create a structure to, to how this should move ahead, how an initiative like this should move ahead. That's number one. And number two, really, I think, was were these town halls, these Zooms. Um, I learned so much. The lessons I learned in that were so powerful um, personally. Professionally, I know, you know we had internal meetings amongst the executive management group afterwards. Uh, after sitting through all of these, we had a number of meetings and we were all blown away at the power of these stories, of these personal challenges that people have. You know, you just get so comfortable in that work mode, right? You are a, a longtime friend of, of a young lawyer who works with, has worked with me for almost 20 years now. And I know her in this work context. But I don't know those challenges she's dealing with, with her kids at home and what they confront and what they see and and how it impacts her personal life. And to have this kind of 360 degree view and to really understand the challenges that mothers with young children are dealing with and the challenges that some of our younger members of the workforce are dealing with were just, again, eye popping. You know, that had an incredible impact on all of us uh, in, in the leadership group, as well as, you know, you just learned a lot of lessons about how, how challenging it is to raise kids, like, as you noted, the challenges that you yourself personally deal with. To hear that just creates a whole new perspective, I think. And, you know, one other thing was really interesting, which I guess may, may be a simplistic way of looking at where we are in the, in the arc of time in this, in this challenge that our country's had. So many of our younger employees, minority younger employees, when they would tell stories about being picked out, being pulled over by police over and over again, by being afraid to walk home because of, you know, you know if they were walking through a, a white neighborhood or something, I mean, just all kinds of stories that they told us. It came back to something that I think is really driving a lot of this today in our culture and in our country. 
And it's very simple. Enough is enough. Enough is enough. And to hear this from some of these young, younger kids, you know, that, that, had a, that, that, that had a big impact on me too. You know, they've seen it with their parents. They've probably seen it with their grandparents. And now they're living it. And their viewpoint is enough is enough. And I think that really, we took that, we took away from that kind of saying, it's now or never. You know, we can't kind of just let this kind of float along or just let this slide. We need to take concrete action to put in place a, a real diversity and inclusion program for precision that really works. Um, and I think that was a big, big lesson that we learned that helped propel us to that point. Right. So, so we rolled into these town halls, you know, you know, whatever you want to call them in June and July. And they, they were, they were a really great way to let people talk, let people hear, listen, understand and learn. And it was really, really helpful. And because you love threes, if you want to say a third, I'm okay with it. <laughs> no, I think I think I'll stick with two on that. Okay, one. all right, no problem at all. Well, John, thank you so much for for sitting with me today. And if it is okay, I would love to be able to check in on you guys in six to nine months and to see the work that Temi and, and Dania are doing, and, and to see maybe where your your program is. That would be great. I'd love to do that. Awesome. It's always good to see you and, and get to do something fun like this. I almost feel like this is uh, kind of a Francesca Mariano podcast. It's <laughs> an inside joke for our audience, but uh, <laughs> Ritu can tell you if you if you want to ask about it. <laughs> well, um, hopefully she approves. So <laughs> yeah, it's not, as much, not right. as much fun as she's having right now talking about the Oscars last night, I'm sure. But uh, this is still a really important topic. I am so pleased you asked me to share this with Hall Render and, and uh, your colleagues. Um, it's been a great relationship that we've built over, over the last five years or so as a, as a client of the firms. You guys have done great work and um, I'm looking forward to a little follow-up on this too. It'll be interesting. Well, great. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And um, I hope you have a great day and to our audience, thank you so much. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you or your organization has thoughts or programs that you'd like to share with us, please contact us on our website at hallrender.com or reach out to Ritu at rcooper at hallrender.com. Please remember the views expressed in this podcast are those of the participants only and do not constitute legal advice.